Welcome to The Bible Teachers, featuring sermons from around Australia. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Danny Malenkoff. Today, um, we're continuing on uh, this journey that we have been on, um, on two occasions. As you can see there, we've been uh, looking at the theme of what our greatest need is, our greatest need. And today um, is the last part, what might have been, as you can see there, on the title. What might have been? Well, over the Christmas period of 1993 um, into 1994, many moons ago, some of you probably weren't even born at that point in time. Um, that's, that's many moons ago. I had the opportunity of getting to know a most wonderful young lady there in Brisbane who ended up being my wife. And um, I remember on this one occasion, it was um, yeah, Christmas time, 93, 94, when, when I first got to know her at a Yugoslav Congress up there in Brisbane, at the Brisbane campgrounds. What's it called? Kalanga? Kalanga Park? Is that, is that what it's called? Anyway, um, that's when I first met her. But she actually says that she first met me in Sydney at Christmas time the year before. But I don't remember that. Um, I do remember two other girls that were in the car, but I don't remember her. So we don't talk about that much. Um, but anyway, um, I could see that, yeah, she, had, she definitely had an interest in this guy down from Melbourne. She definitely had an interest in him. And so we got to know each other a little over the course of those few days there at the Congress. And I remember on the Sunday following the Congress, a whole bunch of us decided to go down to the Gold Coast um, to enjoy some sun and surf and, and everything you do down there, especially when you're from Melbourne, you long to enjoy some nice warm water. Anyone here from Melbourne? You know what the, you know what the water's like, don't you, Rosie? It's terrible. It's um, so cold. It could be 40 degrees and the water's like 4 degrees. Um, it's just terrible. So anyway, we're heading down to the Gold Coast, and this is back in the day when the freeway from Brisbane to the Gold Coast was only two lanes. You remember that day? It was two lanes, and so we're heading down, and, and sure enough, there was, there, was, there was a whole bunch of cars just, you know, they're stuck in a traffic jam, all heading down to the Gold Coast. And I'm driving my best friend's car, my best friend's um, Calais, and... He had just put this brand new sound system in his car, brand new top of the range sound system. It cost like thousands of dollars. And um, so anyway, I'm driving it. He's in the passenger side. My sisters are in the back seat. And there's a bunch of other cars, young people heading down. I'm in the right-hand lane as we're going down. And, um, and all of a sudden, the right-hand lane sort of came to a bit of a stop. But the left-hand lane was still going... Yeah, reasonably well and um, so I decided that I would move from the right hand lane into the left hand lane and continue on. I thought I'd looked but obviously I hadn't looked well enough and just as I moved into the left lane I heard, you know what I heard, I heard brakes and I heard tires screeching and I was like, you, you know what it's like, it seems like forever and you're just waiting for impact. I'm just waiting, 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 waiting. Nothing happened. And I'm like, phew. And there I see on the side of me, fortunately, there was this person was able to move into the emergency lane. They had like really hit the brakes hard. 
and lo and behold, it's one of the young people in her red Celica. Happens to be Jasna. And I'm like, oh, whoa. So anyway, I didn't bother getting out of the car. I mean, you don't get out of the car to apologize in there. And I couldn't, I couldn't exactly text her and say, I'm sorry, because we didn't have mobile phones. Um, so anyway, so we head down and we get to the beach there on the Gold Coast. And, um, and I hope I said sorry to her. I really do hope I apologised. I'm pretty sure I did apologise to her. And um, I thought, oh, she's going to kill me. You know, I mean, who does that? And her brothers had told her, oh, you nearly hit Eddie's car. That's my friend. Eddie's car. Do you realise he's got this sound system in the back worth thousands of dollars? I weren't so much worried about her car. Um, and, yeah. Later that day, believe it or not, true story, later that day, after doing this to her, she must have liked me, she must have liked me, we find ourselves walking hand in hand, in hand up the Gold Coast Beach. How would you be? A year later, a year later, we walk hand in hand up the aisle after we've both said I do. I think to myself... What might have been if she would have ploughed into my friend's car? I don't think we would have been walking hand in hand down the Gold Coast Beach that afternoon. We certainly wouldn't be walking hand in hand up the aisle a year later. What might have been? What might have been? We've all had those moments, haven't we? We've all had moments where we wonder, I wonder what would have happened if I would have done this or I would have done that. We have regrets. That's part of life. And we wonder... What might have been? The question is, do we learn from our mistakes? We all make mistakes. That's just life. But do we learn from our mistakes? Have we learned from our mistakes? George Santayana, Spanish-born American philosopher, he wrote these words. Many of you will be familiar with these words. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to do what? To repeat it. Those who cannot remember the past, are condemned to repeat it. Will we learn what might have been? Let's, let's, let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask and pray that you'll guide and lead us this morning as we open your word, as we ponder this all-important subject that is before us. Father, we pray that we will indeed learn from the past. As we unpack the past today, we ask and pray that we will learn that we may go forward, that we may do what your will is for our lives. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Over the past couple of months, um, because I haven't been here all the time, we've been looking at the story of King Josiah, part one, part two. Today is part three. We discovered that under King Josiah's reign, the greatest revival and reformation in the history of Israel and Judah took place. Isn't that right? An incredible revival and reformation took place. We don't have time to get into all the details, but I've simply summarized what that revival was, what the key components of that revival were. Firstly, there was the opening of the Word of God. The opening of the Word of God. The the obeying of the Word of God's prophet or prophetess, the prophetess Hulda, who who was alive then when Josiah reigned. There was the humbling of the heart before God. There was earnest prayer. There was the restoring of the covenant. You remember the covenant. The restoration of the covenant was for the purpose that God would use 
the children of Judah, that he would use Israel for the sake of witness to the other nations, to the nations that were around them. We discovered that part of the Reformation process was eliminating sin, eliminating idolatry, eliminating everything and anything that is not part of God's plan and God's will for those who want to be his covenant people, those who want to witness, those who want to be his ambassadors. And finally, we discovered that not only does God invite us to get rid of things, but he invites us to bring that which, is, that which is for our benefit into our lives. So there was the bringing back of the Passover service. And there hadn't been a Passover celebrated in all of Israel ever as the one that was celebrated during King Josiah's time. So that's what we looked at the first two times together. If you, if you didn't get an opportunity to hear them, I encourage you to go on our website, on our church website, and you can, um, you can pick up those two messages and, um, and catch up. Today we want to continue to look at um, this third and all-important aspect of this journey of King Josiah and the people of Judah. And we're going to go into our Bibles and we're going to discover why this incredible, why this incredible revival and reformation took place. 2 Kings 23. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to open them. And we're actually going to open up to 2 Kings chapter 22. And let's just um, review what kind of person King Josiah was. 2 Kings 22 and verse 2. If you don't have a Bible, put your hand up. We'll give you a Bible, the same Bible that I'm using. I've given you a page number there, page 574. Does anyone need a Bible? Put your hand up. Going, going, gone. Okay, no one needs a Bible. Fantastic, everyone's got one. Um, 2 Kings 22. We'll start off in chapter 22, verse 2. Notice what, how the Bible describes Josiah. And he did what was what? Right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. This is the first bookend that describes Josiah's life, his ministry, his reign. Go over to chapter 23 and verse 25. Notice how the Bible describes the conclusion of Josiah's life. Verse 25. Now before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might according to the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. Wow. What a description. What a description. This individual who served the Lord with all his heart, who didn't turn to the right or to the left, this was a man of God. Can you say amen? This was a man of God. No wonder no wonder the greatest revival and reformation in the history of Israel and Judah took place under his reign. This tells me that if you and I are willing to be godly people, in the history of Israel and Judah took place under his reign. This tells me that if you and I are willing to be godly people by the grace of God and through the strength that Christ gives to us, God is able to use us in a mighty way to affect positive change in the lives of so many people. Amen? Amen? That's what God's looking for. He's looking for people who will serve Him with all their heart, soul, strength and mind. That's exactly what Jesus said. And God will use you to impact who knows how many people for His honor and glory. However, we need to remind ourselves that 
Sadly, the children of Judah, the children of Israel, had already been taken captive by this time by the Assyrians. But this was the message of the prophetess Hulda to Josiah. Notice what she said to this man of God. And we pick it up in chapter 22, chapter 22 and verse 15. This is Hulda the prophetess who gives a message to King Josiah after he reads from the book of the law, he tears his robes, he sends his, um, his, his five most trusted um, servants to go and inquire of the Lord through the prophetess, and this is what she says to the, to, to the king. Verse 15 of chapter 22, Then she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. Wow. It sounds like a done deal, doesn't it? It sounds like regardless of, of, of what King Josiah done, does based on based on the sin and the idolatry that has taken place over centuries that God has no other option other than to discipline his people his anger has been aroused and it shall not be quenched as I was reading through those words I was asking myself the question is it possible that King Josiah believed that if he humbled his heart, if the people collectively humbled their hearts, that God would have mercy on them, that God would forgive them, that God would, he would be merciful in the, in the discipline that he would have to share with them because of, because of their sin, because of their idolatry. Does God have compassion? Does God offer forgiveness? I wonder if King Josiah remembered what had taken place almost 150 years before this when God sent a prophet by the name of Jonah to the capital of the Assyrian Empire, Nineveh. Did God have mercy on the Ninevites? Absolutely. Would God have mercy on his covenant people if they completely surrendered all to God, if they completely humbled themselves sought forgiveness and turned. The Bible says in Malachi 3.6, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Josiah did all he could. He left no stone unturned. Josiah knew that God is long-suffering. Josiah knew that God is forgiving. Josiah knew that God is merciful. I am sure Josiah was aware of the words that God shared with Solomon. You remember King Solomon? That he shared with King Solomon when he gave him a second dream. After the coronation of the temple, God gave Solomon a second dream and in that dream, God said to him, the day will come when your people will walk away from me. Even so, even so, if my people... Say it with me if you know 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, 
and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. Who said that? That's what God said to Solomon. God said to Solomon, the day will come when the people will walk away. They'll turn their back on me. They will say, God, we no longer want you. We no longer need you. We are good to go on our own. And God said to Solomon, if the people humble their hearts and turn to me with all their hearts, I will hear them. I will forgive them and I will bring healing to their land. I believe that Josiah knew all this. I believe that he knew the mercies of God. You see, Josiah's name means supported by Yahweh. I discovered also that his name, Josiah, means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. In his name, in his name was the salvation of God before him. All the time. I want to share with you this powerful insight from Prophet and Kings. Prophets and Kings. Ellen White writes regarding regarding this, this situation. She's speaking of King Josiah. She says, The king must leave with God the events of the future. He could not alter the eternal decrees of Jehovah. But in announcing the retributive judgments of heaven, the Lord had not withdrawn opportunity for repentance and reformation. And Josiah, discerning in this a willingness on the part of God to notice these words, to temper his judgments with mercy, determined to do all in his power to bring about decided reforms. Wow. Yes, God had to discipline his people. But his people did not have to end up where they did end up. It's just like your child. You've got a child, and if your child is willing to cooperate, they'll get one little spank on the, back, on the, on the bottom. Isn't that right? Well, maybe not in this day and age. Don't own up to it. Today you're not allowed to lift a finger. I know that. But what if your child is rebellious? How many spanks are they going to get on their, on their behind? Who knows? The sky's the limit. Isn't that right? <laughs> That's what happened to me at school. I remember one of my teachers, I won't mention her name, but she used to love giving me the cane. She used to love giving me the cane. I don't, there was no good reason. I was a good kid. I'm sure I was. Absolutely. You can just imagine that. But do you know what? Every time, every time she gave me the cane, and I would move my hand, and so she would get herself on her leg. She'd give me like double or triple. Now that's not fair, is it? If the people go astray and they turn to God, He will temper His judgments with mercy. Josiah had a tremendous impact on all of Judah and Israel. Go over with me to the parallel passage in Second Chronicles 34. So go over with me to Second Chronicles chapter 34. The parallel passage, um, verse 32. Giving you a page number there, page 671. Page 671. Notice what the Bible says about King Josiah. He, he made a decision to do all he possibly could for his people, himself and his people, to turn to God with all their hearts. Notice what the Bible says. Verse 32 and 33 of Josiah, sorry, Josiah, of 2 Chronicles chapter 34. 
and he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. Wow, what a description. There was serious revival that took place, a reformation beyond what we can begin to imagine. But sadly... Sadly, the reforms did not go the distance. Why? Because Josiah, at the age of 39, his life was cut short. His life was cut short. He only reigned for 31 years, from the age of 8 to the age of 39. Why was his life cut short? Was it illness? Did he have a heart attack? What happened? Have a look at chapter 35. Chapter 35, what might have been? Oh, wow. Chapter 35, verse 20. Let's pick up the final chapter in Josiah's life. Chapter 35, verse 20. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish by the Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. Here we have the king of Egypt, he has been invited by the king of Assyria to join together to fight the Babylonians that are coming through. You see, the Babylonians have already taken over Nineveh. They've already taken over Hamath. And now they are heading for Carchemish. They're about to wipe out the Assyrians. And the Assyrians are calling out to the Egyptians for help. And so the Egyptians are heading to help their Assyrians against the Babylonians, who they fear will come down and, um, and make life difficult for them. Verse 21. But he sent messengers to him, that is, the king of Egypt, Necho, sent messengers to Josiah, saying, What have I to do with you, king of Judah? I have not come against you this day, but against the house with which I have war. For God commanded me to make haste, Refrain from meddling with God who is with me, lest he destroy you. You can think of Josiah saying, hang on a minute, you're a pagan king. You're the the king of Egypt. Are you telling me that God has told you that I'm not to mess with you? I'm not to meddle with you? That I'm to leave you alone? Josiah had in his midst Jeremiah. They were contemporaries. They were about the same age. Why didn't he inquire of the Lord this time as he did 13 years earlier when he, when he inquired of Huldah, the prophetess? Instead, he decided that he was going to go it alone. He didn't need the Lord to inquire of him. And notice what happens. Verse 22, Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself so that he might fight with him, and did not heed the words of Necho from the mouth of God. Notice these are God's words... God's word to Josiah, pagan king, speaks on behalf of God. God can use donkeys and God can use pagans. You may have a pagan speaking to you sometime and it's the word of God speaking to you. From the mouth of God, so he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo 
And the archers shot King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I am severely wounded. His servants therefore took him out of that chariot and put him in the second chariot that he had, and they brought him to Jerusalem. So he died and was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers. And notice, And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. And notice who else mourned. Jeremiah also lamented for Josiah. And to this day, all the singing men and the singing women speak of Josiah in their lamentations. They made it a custom in Israel, and indeed they are written in the laments. And it goes on and speaks of the rest of the acts of Josiah and his goodness that are recorded in the books of the kings of the of, in the in the book of the kings of, of Israel and Judah. What might have been if King Josiah lived a lot longer? He died at the age of 39 because he did not listen to the word of God that came to him through this pagan king. I wonder what might have been. Well, what happened after King Josiah? Well, his son Jehoahaz, he began to reign in his father's place. He only reigned for about three months. And you know how the Bible summarizes his journey? And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, the complete opposite to his father. In fact, I have up here the rest of the kings of Judah. We've got Josiah, was followed by his son, who was followed by another son, Jehoiakim, who was followed by Jehoiakim, and the last king was Zedekiah. You know what the Bible says? You know how the Bible describes the reign of these four kings? In the words of, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. It's all over. He was the last good king of Judah. In fact, there weren't too many good kings at all. Not too many good kings. This is when 722 BC is when the, the northern tribes went into captivity. King Hoshea was the last king. But I've got this. You can't see this very well. But this is out of my um, Andrew's um, study Bible. And there's a list of the kings of Judah, a list of the kings of Israel. They had 20 kings in Judah, 20 kings in Israel. And you go down the list, and in Judah, the reason why Judah lasted longer than Israel is because they had more righteous kings. They had, I counted, they had four kings that are described as doing right in the sight of the Lord. These two, then there was Hezekiah, and the last one was Josiah. And notice, the rest are evil, 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 and a few of them were kind of half-half. They were Laodicean. They were neither hot nor cold. They did right and evil. But have a look at the kings of Israel. Evil, 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 right and evil, and then all evil after that. Wow. What might have been if this godly king would have remained on the throne just a little more? God's plan was for his people to be disciplined. Absolutely. Make no mistake, they had gone too far. But the discipline that God had for his people was not what they experienced. Jeremiah, you read through the book of Jeremiah. And God, through his prophet Jeremiah, who lived during those last four kings. He lived during the time of Josiah and those last four kings. Continually, God, through Jeremiah, pleading with the people 
Turn back from your waywardness. Turn back, turn back, turn back, turn back. Repent and I will save you. Repent and your discipline will not be what it will be if you completely turn away. Time and time again, they turn their backs on God. That is why Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. Have you ever wondered why he's called the weeping prophet? The book of Lamentations, written just before, around the time that Judah was taken completely into captive in 586 BC, written by Jeremiah. What might have been? So sad. So, so sad. It was never God's plan for Judah to be conquered, to be destroyed. This scripture here, it's in 2 Chronicles 34, 6, that describes Josiah and, and what he did during his reign. It says, and so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and all around with axes. He got rid of idolatry. Notice, this is where Judah is here, down the bottom, and... Josiah went all the way through into those ten northern tribes that were scattered all the way up to Naphtali, right up the top here. The work of reform. And I'm thinking to myself, could it be that God had an awesome plan for Judah and for Israel under this righteous king to bring the kingdom back as one? It was divided. To bring them back as one and to keep the Babylonian army at bay but to bring his people back as one. What might have been for the people of God long ago? Well, we fast forward six centuries into the future. God doesn't send a prophet or a judge or a king, but he sends Jesus. He sends the Messiah. The prophecy had been given. When the children of Judah came back to Jerusalem to rebuild, they were given how long? Do you remember? How many years? 490 years, 70, 77, 490 years. Did the people of God learn the lessons from their ancestors? The Bible says in John 1 verse 11, it says, He that is Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. Just before his crucifixion, Jesus uttered, these words, some of the saddest words that you will ever read in Scripture. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers the chicks under her wings, but you were what? Not willing. You were not willing. Was it God's plan for Jerusalem to be destroyed in 70 AD? No. Was it God's plan for the temple to be destroyed? No. Was it God's plan for more than one million people to lose their lives in that siege? The answer is no. It was never part of God's plan. Never part of God's plan. Oh, what might have been for the people of God two millennia ago. Well, you may be thinking, Danny, thanks for the history lesson. Very interesting. But what's that got to do with me? I mean, I'm living in the third millennium. You know, 2,000 years from this day, 2,500 years from the time of Josiah. What on earth has all this got to do with me? In a word, everything. Really? Really. What has it got to do with you and I living today? 
Well, let's come down to our day and let's find out what we might learn from this story of Josiah, from the story of Israel 2,000 years ago. What might have been for them? And what does it have to do with us? Well, I want to share with you right now an incredible description that Ellen White gives of what she witnessed over a hundred years ago. Notice these words. Written in 1903. She writes, We were assembled in the auditorium of the tabernacle. Prayer was offered, a hymn was sung, and prayer was again offered. Most earnest supplication was made to God. The meeting was marked by the presence of the Holy Spirit. The work went deep and some present were weeping aloud. One arose from his bowed position and said that in the past he had not been in union with certain ones and had felt no love for them, but that now he saw himself as he was. With great solemnity he repeated the message to the Laodicean church. My eyes are opened, he said. My spirit has been hard and unjust. I thought myself righteous, but my heart is broken, and I see my need of the precious counsel of the one who has searched me through and through. The speaker turned to those who had been praying and said, We have something to do. We must confess our sins and humble our hearts before God. He made heartbroken confessions and then stepped up to several of the brethren, one after another, and extended his hand asking forgiveness. Those to whom he spoke sprang to their feet, making confession and asking forgiveness, and they fell upon one another's necks, weeping. The spirit of confession spread through the entire congregation. It was a Pentecostal season. God's praises were sung, and far into the night until nearly morning, the work was carried on. No one seemed to be proud to make heartfelt confession, and those who led in this work were the ones who had influence, but had not before had the courage to confess their sins. There was rejoicing such as never before had been heard in the tabernacle. Wow, what a description. Quite a description. Talk about a Pentecostal moment. There is, there is a coming together. There is praying. There is confessing of sin. There is extending the hand of friendship. There is reconciling. There is love and genuine care. There is singing and praising God. What an incredible moment. But then notice what she writes next. I've got the words up on the screen for you. Then I aroused from my unconsciousness and for a while could not think where I was. My pen was still in my hand. The words were spoken to me. This might have been. All this the Lord was waiting to do for his people. All heaven was waiting to be gracious. I thought of where we might have been had thorough work been done at the last general conference, an agony of disappointment came over me as I realized that what I had witnessed was what? Not a reality. Now, what on earth is going on here? Thank you. Good question. Very important question. What's going on here is this. Ellen White is writing in 1903, and as she is writing, she's taken off in vision, and she saw what I just read. 
she realized this did not take place. She was there at that general conference two years ago and that didn't take place. You see, in 1901, that's 114 years ago, nobody here was alive then. In 1901, God had a powerful plan for his end time church. What was it? He had a twofold plan with one purpose. Number one was that the church would restructure. The structure that we have today comes to us from 1901, 114 years ago. That the church would restructure so that it would be effective for mission to reach the whole world. That was God's first aim. The second aim, God wanted to pour out His Holy Spirit. God wanted to pour out the latter rain on his church so that his church would be used by God through this, through this structure that he provided for them to reach the entire world with the everlasting gospel so that Jesus might come. As Ellen White writes these words, she writes what might have been, she says, I realize that Jesus could have come in our lifetime. Are you realizing the significance of those words? She realized that if God's people had done what they were supposed to do, which they never did, Jesus would have come. The Holy Spirit would have been poured out and Jesus would have come. questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 61 4973 3456 Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au That is radio at the number 3 ABN Australia, all one word, .org.au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc, PO Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support.
Christ Alone, Cornerstone, The Solid Rock. That beautiful medley was brought to you by Caleb and Kelsey Grimm. Coming up now, we have John Lomaking bringing us that beautiful song, Sweet Hour of Prayer. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet That calls me from a world of care and bids me at my father's throne makes Real 
Here is Anthem Lights with Selah Medley. There's a land that is fairer than day. 
for Balanced Living with Vicki Griffin. Quenching the Fires of Heart Disease Summer was the busiest and best season for Ken, the owner of a small engine repair shop. But Ken's long hours and hectic schedule were interrupted permanently. At age 46, overweight and a smoker, Ken's first symptom of heart trouble was his last. He fell victim to a sudden, fatal heart attack. Ken had been sure he was fine. He had never had chest pain or shortness of breath. Ken's story is not uncommon. Although heart attacks occur when arteries become narrowed by cholesterol, this occurs less than 30% of the time. Instead, most heart attacks and many strokes originate from small but unstable fatty deposits in the arteries called plaques. When they rupture, they release deadly compounds that can produce life-threatening clots. 
Although arteries have often been compared to ordinary plumbing pipes, these vessels are much more complex than simple pipes. Arteries are living tissues that contain powerful chemicals involved in immune function, inflammation, clotting, and more. The most common disease of these living tissues is atherosclerosis. But actually, there is much more involved than hardening of the arteries. Atherosclerosis also involves a mushy fat component. In fact, the process begins when fats such as cholesterol move from the blood into the lining of the blood vessels. These fatty deposits are part of an inflammation process which causes a greater risk for heart attacks and stroke. When working correctly, acute or short-term inflammation causes the body's immune system to heal when injuries have occurred. But chronic, long-term overactivation of the immune system can cause serious problems. Such is the case in diseases such as lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, and asthma. It is also true in atherosclerosis. Inflammation literally means on fire. Indeed, scientists now realize that chronic inflammation is a major, if not the major, culprit in coronary artery disease. It underlies not only the creation of fatty plaques, but also their growth and rupture. Is there anything we can do to dampen the fires of inflammation in our bodies? Fortunately for our arteries, the answer is yes. Lifestyle choices have a major effect on the inflammation process involved in heart disease. Here are a few timely tips for keeping your ticker in top shape, reducing inflammation and sudden heart attack risk while improving heart health naturally. First, stop the smokes. Smoking as few as two cigarettes a day significantly increases inflammation throughout your body. Smoking robs your heart of oxygen. Quitting dramatically reduces your risk of heart attack. Second, ditch the drinks and enjoy water. Sugary drinks fuel belly fat, which stokes the fires of inflammation linked not only with heart disease, but also diabetes, obesity, and certain cancers. This is because the fat carried around in our bellies is metabolically active, producing chemicals that heighten inflammation throughout the body. The top source of added sugar in the United States population is sweetened drinks. Losing even small amounts of excess weight reduces heart attack, cancer, and diabetes risk. Ditch sugary drinks and enjoy fresh, pure water and soothing herbal teas. Aim for 8 to 10 cups of water each day. Third, shop defensively. The produce department has been called the Department of Defense when it comes to disease prevention. Spend more time shopping in the fruit and vegetable aisles and fill up your cart and your body with these foods to dramatically lower inflammation throughout your body. In general, animal products tend to fan the flames of inflammation, while plant foods dampen them. Increase omega-3 fats with mineral-rich walnuts, chia, or ground flaxseed. Fourth, get in D sun. Low levels of vitamin D, the sunshine vitamin, are connected with increased risk of heart disease. Enjoy outdoor time in the sun responsibly. You may need to supplement with vitamin D. Fifth, move it and lose it. 
lack of physical exercise is second only to smoking as a risk factor for heart disease. Daily exercise is linked to lower cholesterol levels, improved blood pressure, better diabetes control, improved mood and sleep, and fewer joint problems. Sixth, stack those Zs. Lack of sleep increases heart attack risk. Tone down the intensity of evening activities. Avoid caffeine, alcohol, and heavy meals at night, and your sleep quality will improve. Guard your bedtime. It's healing time. Seventh, watch your mouth. Gum diseases which cause inflammation are linked with bacterial infections that can contribute to heart disease. Also, heart disease, obesity, and diabetes increase the risk for gum problems. Daily flossing and brushing, avoidance of soda pop, and enjoying a diet rich in plant foods helps your mouth as well as your heart. Eighth, mind your matters. Scientists have found a compelling link between stress and inflammation. Although we can't always control the things that come at us, we can often learn better ways to cope. Take time to unwind by spending more time with friends and family. Trim that schedule and add daily time with God in Bible study and prayer. God cares about your heart. God speaks of the heart as more than an organ that pumps blood. The Bible uses the heart to represent the springboard of our actions and the seat of our emotions. Give me your heart and let your eyes take delight in my ways. Proverbs 23:26. Would you allow Jesus Christ, the God of all healing, comfort, and love, to help you form new habits and renew your inner life? You can start today one choice at a time, and gain more optimal health while losing needless suffering. You've been listening to Balanced Living, presented by Vicki Griffin. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.